This is Mercy Harper, writer for research services at APQC. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe to APQC podcasts on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Today, I'm here with Stephen Carradine, Assistant Professor of Technical Communications and Senior Sustainability Scholar at Arizona State University, to talk about workplace communication, including the challenges of today and what it could and should look like tomorrow. Thanks so much for coming on the pod, Stephen. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. So before we dive deeper, I think it's so interesting that you're in both the sustainability and communications programs at Arizona State. Mm-hmm. So I'm wondering how you see the relationship between communications and sustainability. Yeah, so sustainability is a big word that has a lot of different meanings. And there's the the environmental sustainability angle that lots of people think about when they think about the word sustainability. And that is definitely a part of what I do. But the bigger parts of what I do relate to different meanings of sustainability. One is simply, how do we make processes that we can continue or sustain into the future for long term? So how do we come up with good ideas now that stay good ideas later? There's also an element of my research where I look at how do we, as not just organizations, but as a society, create economies that are good ideas now and also good ideas in 10, 15, 20, 50 years. So that's sustainability of a different type. And because of the way that we do our economy now, we often have to reconsider ways that we do sustainability. We do the economy so that it becomes sustainable. So communication plays a role in all three of these types, and there are more types of sustainability, as you know, but these are the three that are mostly interesting to me. And from the environmental side, everything is communication. We know the facts, and it's communicating them to people who are uh, skeptical or who have reasons to not move as quickly as other people would want them to move. And so communication is how we do sustainability environmentally. The practical aspects are important, but communication is how we make it move. For organizational sustainability, communication is the way that the organization understands. So you communicate back and forth and you create knowledge and that knowledge is embedded in the organization and then you have an organizational understanding. Communication is how that happens. And so the more that your organization understands itself, I know it sounds sort of mystical, but the people who have been in an organization know when an organization understands something and when an organization doesn't understand something, sort of a sense about well, it seems like no one knows what we're doing. Or yeah, everybody knows what page we're on. Communication is how you get to that level of knowledge, which is potentially sustainable. So it may not be sustainable and you may have to redo this, but communication is how you build that consensus to get to that knowledge that turns into sustainability. And when you get to the economy and sustainability, you're thinking about at a macro scale, how do the processes of communication that we put together inside organizations, outside organizations, top down from federal, international down, bottom up from people to organizations in power, how do those flows of communication work so that A, people feel heard, whether it's the top feeling like the bottom has heard them or the bottom feeling like the top has heard them, 
And B, how do we use communication in ways that we can then go forward? So it's one thing for us to hear each other, and it's another thing for us to be able to then use that hearing to go forward and communicate continuously in a loop to make changes. Because laws are just communication that has been written down and policies are just communication that are temporarily written down. So there's a level at which communication is how we get to those things. And the actual content is super meaningful and communication is not the all spark of, uh, of everything is not the, the hammer with everything is a nail. But there's a level at which if you can't communicate, then individually we just sort of sit around and have good ideas. And so communication relates to sustainability in a general sense, and it's how we do the actions of building consensus to make sustainable things happen. Awesome, thank you so much. It's, I think it's such an interesting and different way to think about sustainability that's really going to spark some ideas for a lot of our listeners. I hope so. Uh, yeah. Let's uh, let's get into the workplace communication stuff now. Um, mm -hmm. So we've seen a huge increase in virtual and hybrid work over the pandemic and yeah. a lot of organizations look like they're going to keep it. Um, yeah. Employees want it and leaders mm -hmm. want to save the cost. Yeah. How do you think this has impacted workplace communication and particularly I'm wondering if you think it helps level the playing field for less advantaged groups or whether it just kind of reinforces actually the existing hierarchies that are already there. Yeah, so at a basic level, remote would not be possible without technology and communication on that technology. So we have to thank technology broadly conceived, broadly developed over the past 60 years for making this possible. But again, we need the communication piece to make this happen. So moving to virtual and hybrid and remote increases a dependence on mediated communication. You can't just walk over to your colleague's office and say, hey, I was thinking about this thing. So there's a dependence that comes on virtual communication when you do remote. And so when you do that, you have to look at the pre-existing organization that was there and how remote is layered on top of it. So there are some organizations that are fully remote and have always been remote or have been remote for a very long time. Like the Ghost Blogging Platform, it's a fully distributed company. Automatic is another blogging company. They've been distributed for a long time. But a lot of places that are going remote right now or going virtual, basically we're an organization in an office building before this. And so it can reinforce hierarchies. The dependence on virtual communication can reinforce hierarchies. Also, it can blow them up because it's really dependent on what the organization was like before and how the effects of virtual layer on top. So for instance, in a positive situation, you have a difficult work situation where the communication is done very informally in person and there's people who get listened to people who don't get listened to depending on which door you're standing in and which door you're not well if you no one can stand doors anymore then that whole hierarchy can't happen and you have to readjust it and maybe reconfigured in the same way or it may not be ideally you would have a situation where the the nature of communication in the workplace is not just added on or bolted on, but you would reconsider and reconfigure 
what do we want to do with communication here? And this is great because if you want to develop a stronger workplace communication method, particularly for those who have been disadvantaged or uh, did not conform or fit easily into the previous communication standards, if you build those with those people in mind, then you have a, a strong chance at making a better uh, workplace communication environment. Alternatively, if you had a good workplace communication environment and then you move to virtual and you don't reconsider these things, you can make a worse environment. So there's a lot of ways in which there's not a, a standard, how does this work answer, mm -hmm. but it does open up a space for a big reconsideration of how organizations do their communication. And I'm an optimist and I'm positive about that. And I think that organizations that are going remote and are making this decision now, should we stay this way? Should we stay hybrid? The thing they have to do to make a good workplace communication strategy is to make sure that they talk to those people throughout the organization, at the bottom, the middle, the top, make sure that they're understanding what sorts of things people need, what sorts of things people want, what sorts of things people don't want. We just changed bosses um, at my job and the communication strategies from the two bosses are wildly different. Uh, which is good in some ways. In other ways, I talked to a colleague and the colleague said, do you think this thing is going to happen? I'm like, I have no idea. It's a new communication <laughs> method. I have literally no idea. Hopefully. Uh, so, so there's a lot of change and there's a lot of options. And so I think that it really comes down to, do you want a workplace that works for those people communicationally? Then you have to go and talk to them and figure out what works, what doesn't. And it can be as tedious as person by person if you're in a small enough company to figure out, okay, this person does not like Slack. Slack is our main way of working. How can we find a way that works for this person? Or it might be units where like this unit only emails in Outlook. This unit only does Slack. They have stopped using email. How can we get them to talk to each other? So it becomes very, very pragmatic, very, very detailed. And I love that sort of stuff. So that's a, a, a positive for me, but I know that that can be very intimidating for people who would just like to put something either from the bottom up or the top down and say, this is the plan. And sadly, when you go to hybrid and remote, there is no the plan, there are the plans. And that is a yeah. big change. And so I think ultimately the answer to your question is, I think it's possible that you can do better for people that have struggled, but it takes effort. and intentionality. Absolutely. And, you know, we know that during the pandemic, a lot of organizations, you know, to be fair, did not have a huge opportunity to be so intentional. No, they that, scrambled. That excuse is, is fast disappearing. Yeah, I think, you know, we're right now today, we're in the middle of Delta where I'm living. And so there's another level where we're adjusting, but it's the second time we've done this. So there's some expectations about like how we do this well, how we don't do this and these sorts of things. And so the longer we go through this virtual aspect, the, the pandemic, I pray it's over soon, but the longer we go through this, the more people are, are gonna be experienced at it and the less chances there are to plead ignorance. Yeah, you're right. Absolutely. So I want to bring up kind of where would you draw the line between what needs to be a corporate level or, you know, a, a business unit manager level policy mm -hmm. and guideline mm -hmm. 
And what is, you know, something you kind of leave to personal accountability, Mm -hmm. cultural mores, Mm -hmm. things like that, Mm -hmm. when it comes to technology-enabled communications? Yeah, I think the, the channels should be set at a pretty high level. So middle or upper in terms of, of management, obviously with uh, insight and input from the frontline workers and the, the people lower down on the org chart. But I think that if you, if you too much rely on uh, bottom up for setting channels, you end up with many, many channels. Yep, uh, and, absolutely. And so even though I think it is, it is important to make sure that people have buy-in when you make decisions, at some level when you set channels, you're just going to have to say, this is where we're going. We've talked to a bunch of people. This seems the best way forward. And for those who aren't thrilled about this, we're going to find accommodations and we're going to make it work, but we're going to use this and this, or we're just going to use this. And so channel setting, I think, is hugely important from middle and upper levels of management. I think that uh, actual ways of communicating, I think, should be fairly freeform. Business units and individuals within business units should be able to adjust and respond to their conditions. And so maybe they decide, hey, we're going to have a Slack with 30 channels. Don't put anything in general unless it's go look at this channel. They may do that. Or they may say, look, we can't keep up with the channels. Everything goes in general. Live with it. Like, great. Um, And so so some of those, I think, need to be more bottom up. Because if you do those top down, then people start to say, like, well, what am I supposed to say? Like, And then you start getting less communication and more sort of tiptoeing. And that isn't as helpful for productivity. Also not helpful for people enjoying their work culture, right? Because your culture is now being set down on you. So, and to some extent, that's still true of setting channels, right? Like there's a line, right? You you can't be perfectly uh, bottom-up culture developed um, in any organization. But I think ways of communicating within those channels should largely be set with the, the people who are actually doing the communicating. Unless, of course, there becomes a problem and people start to say, these people are doing this thing, it's becoming a problem, and then management needs to step in and say, okay, maybe we need some new rules here, especially if it's not done in bad faith, if it's not done in an antagonistic way, and it's just sort of a dispute over how we should do things, capital S, that if there's disputes, then you, you may need to step in and say, hey, let's let's do this. Let's keep the GIFs in the GIFs chat, <laughs> et cetera. <laughs> and so those sorts of things become a little more obvious when there's uh, more problems that that pop up. But I think as much as you can at the early phases, I'm a big believer in letting the the people decide on how that should go. Absolutely. And that makes a lot of sense. It kind of ties up something with something we found in the research where we found that when IT is solely managing the whole, you know, virtual communication environment, yeah. people are less happy. Mm. Um, but people are more happy when knowledge management or HR or one of these groups that has like a little yeah. bit closer tie to how people want to communicate, mm-hmm. um, then yeah. they can build an environment that reflects that a little bit better. 
Yeah, I love IT. They do amazing work. They help me out. I have technology intensive research that I do. And so I'm always talking to IT and they're super great at handling technologies, which is what I need. But when it comes to communication, that's not their remit. And so delegating the communication strategies to the IT, even if you have an IT spe uh, communication specialist, even if you have a communication specialist in your IT department, is not going to have the same results mm. as having someone from HR or a public relations or internal communications, if you are so blessed as to have an internal communications arm of your company. That's going to have different results. I personally think there are better results, but I also know that there are sometimes reasons why you would want your IT to be in charge of your communications, particularly if, I, as I mentioned before, if things start to go awry in significant ways and you need somebody to just make rules, sometimes that's a good place to, to put that responsibility. But in general, yeah, I think you're right, like culture up from communicators. Absolutely. So how do you think um, the pandemic has impacted communications in particular, but also workways in general, mm -hmm. for those folks who have jobs that cannot be done remotely? Um, what is the future of work for these guys? Yeah, it's, it's a challenge, actually. I don't think societally we have come up with very good answers yet. And I think that's disappointing. I do understand why, because this is a big challenge. We've decided, okay, being together in person has benefits and negatives. Right now, the negatives are higher than benefits. And so we're going to separate that out and do communication virtually. And then some people were like, hey, but we can't do our jobs virtually. And we were like, yeah. <laughs> and that was kind of it. That was societally sort of our big sigh of disappointment. We just didn't come up with... Now, some organizations did great at this. There was strong communication. There was strong ability to uh, develop plans. There was buy-in. Some organizations did great. A lot of them did not. Um, some of them because they couldn't. I have many relatives and friends in healthcare, and obviously they didn't have a lot of time to say, hey, here's how we're going to do things now right. because they were in significant problems, right? But even before then, you know, things like medical, electronic medical records uh, are a complicated bit of do we need this communication or not, right? Mm -hmm. And so there's a level at which no matter whether it's a pandemic or not, although the pandemic definitely exacerbated this problem, you have to assess whether your communication that you're doing for in-person workers is actually meaningful and useful for those workers hmm. or whether it's meaningful, useful for the organization. Because there's plenty of things that if they're just good for the organization and they're not good for the people doing the communication, either receiving or creating the communication, that content, that communication is not going to be good quality. And it's not actually going to be as good as the theoretical promise is because it doesn't work with how the people actually doing the job do it. And this is true if you're on a factory line or if you're in a hospital, if you're in a service position, if you're out in the field trying to take notes on various things, if the tools and the communication strategies that have been put into place don't work for those people for whatever reason, whether traditional work or because of their pandemic shifted work, we're going to have more complicated issues that come down the line. And so there's a level at which the short answer to that question is we haven't done a good job in the main, 
But there are some organizations that have done a good job, and we need to look to those organizations as uh, models and as examples, implement some of those strategies where it's possible. Sometimes those models can't be replicated because of who the organization already is. Mm -hmm. But in general, I think that we need as organizations to look to those people who are on the front lines, many of them are on the front lines, and say, what can we do that would help you achieve this task well, right? What do you want to do communication-wise that would allow us to understand what you're doing and also allow you to get the information that you need? Sometimes there are unrealistic or impossible situations where communication is just going to be poor, right? It's just there are places in the country where cell phone communication is still not great. And so communication is just going to be poor. But in other situations, we do have ways of mitigating poor communication, but it takes effort. And this is true of sustainability is that sustainability is not cost effective as soon as you do it. Otherwise, everybody would do it. It's cost effective later, but it's not cost effective immediately. It's the same thing with changing communication patterns is not easy, takes time, takes effort. It often takes money and it does not often show return on investment immediately, mm -hmm. but long-term effects, if you have better communication patterns, you have better ability to talk to your people. They have better ability to talk to you. Then you'll have more satisfied people and you'll have better work product long-term. So it's a challenge. There's, there's not been something like this, this sort of massive disruption in a hundred years. So we really haven't had a chance to test out this whole capability of our world dealing with this sort of thing. But like we said earlier, now that we're a year and a half in, it's time to say, okay, we don't know how long this is going to be, but we, we're not in day one anymore. And so we need to make some changes that fit for these people who aren't being well served by remote. So if let's just like a hypothetical example, let's mm. say, you know, you're a senior vice president in a large company and you want to with, you know, with these uh, folks who some folks, let's say not all um, whose jobs can't be done remotely. Right. You want to understand what communication, you know, messages and tools mm -hmm. would work from them for them. Mm -hmm. How would you, how, how on earth would you start other than like, yeah. oh, let's send out a survey. That's yeah. like the first idea that came to my mind, but yeah, I mean, surveys are fine. I'm a big believer in skip level meetings uh, where you have, you know, if you have frontline worker and a boss above them and then another uh, manager, higher level manager, I'm a big fan of a higher level manager just going down to the floor and saying like, Hey, what do you think? And you don't have to survey every single person. But if you talk to five people in a hundred person uh, business unit or a hundred person work group, you know, 5% of, of input is, is pretty good. You can get, you can get some reasonable information, especially if you pick people who, you know, are uh, different from each other, or maybe different functions or different uh, stages of their career with your organization, et cetera, et cetera. So you don't have to have perfect information to have good information. And that's true of surveys too. I mean, that's the whole point of surveys is that if we get enough people, it matters. But right. uh, especially if you uh, pick, like I said, people who have different potential opinions, then you can you can reach uh, a larger 
informational scope than you might with just randomly picking people. I also think that things like, uh, and this, this sounds dumb, but if there's a, if there's a culture where there isn't a culture of, of retribution for, for activity, then things like suggestion boxes like genuinely work sometimes. People mm-hmm. literally will say, here is my thing, and you write it down a piece of paper, you put it in the box. And then like if you actually respond to that thing, then people are more likely to put more things in the box. And so it is a uh, a very lo-fi method, but if it's and and the the outcomes uh, can be deeply transformative if someone says we need this we need one hour shorter work day. And you're like, well, I mean, we can probably do that. And then you do that. That's a, people are going to feel more confident putting things in the box. Like, so there's a, there's a sense in which the, the culture of the company affects the things you can do often mm-hmm. more than the actual methods. Like survey response is terrible at some companies and is amazing at others. Why? Because they feel like it, it matters. And so I think that the, the actual method that you do to collect data is not all that important in most organizations, especially if they're physically there, right? Like that's another reason we're doing this because they're physically there. The method doesn't matter all that much. It's developing a culture where uh, even if you can't do everything, making people feel like their responses have been heard, have been considered, have been put through the process, it, it means a lot to people if you say, you know, we took this one up to the board and the board didn't think we can do it right now, but we had an hour long meeting about it or we had a half hour discussion about it. And so I wanted to come to you personally and say, hey, this is what we tried to do, we couldn't do it. That, that means a lot in terms of feeling heard. Now, sometimes you would rather have something done for you than feel heard. But if you're coming from a space where you haven't been heard or where this issue is something you know is a big ask, feeling heard is a big step forward. Um, and feeling heard is the first step towards coming up with new things that can actually be done and having that constructive back and forth process of, okay, well, we can't do this, but we can go this far. How do you feel about that? Well, I think you need to go a little bit further than that. Like, okay, I, we can try that. And so it becomes this iterative process and it sounds tedious. I'm a communications person. So I'm like, yeah, do more communication. It's great. <laughs> communication is awesome. But like, yeah, that's tedious. It's a tedious process to go back and forth and back and forth and up and down and back and forth. But if you do that, you develop a relationships, you develop relationships in the company and you develop an organization that expects these level these levels of communication, and then you have expectations that are good as opposed to expectations that are bad. And it does not happen overnight, right? Like board meetings don't happen that often. So it's not like you can say, hey, yeah, I'm going to go run up to the board right now and give them this idea. Like board meeting happens in eight weeks. Like you got to wait. So it's a slow process. It doesn't, it's not as fast as I make it sound on a podcast, (laughs) but but there's a level at which knowing how these people's concerns work, knowing that they feel heard, that they feel like their their ideas are being considered, that their concerns are being addressed in some way, whatever method you do that by, surveys, box, skip levels, regular one-to-ones, whatever you do, that part is going to have more benefits um, if there's a culture behind it. 
I think that makes so much sense. Do you think I'm a believer in culture yet? I think I've said it like 50 <laughs> times on your podcast. Hey, I, I think culture and communications go together, right? Mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yes. And like, I totally agree. Um, I think that a lot of folks feel like they've been like kind of screaming into a void over the last like year and a half. Yes. And they haven't felt, maybe heard isn't the right word, but like a sense of control and self-determination yeah. has really been missing. Yeah. Well, and you know, a lot of organizations have not been able to respond to to employee concerns. They just haven't been able to. Mm-hmm. Um, that there's a level at which everything has been on fire constantly. And some organizations that have prioritized this, some, some have prioritized that. And so there's those decisions just have to be made. And so sometimes as a communication scholar, I can say sometimes people don't prioritize communication and sometimes they do. And so, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a challenge. Uh, none of this is easy. That's, uh, I, I, I dislike whenever an expert goes on to a podcast and says, and you know what? You can do it today. No, you can't. You can't do this today. You can start today and you can see benefits in a while and you're going to have to stick with it and it will be boring and challenging, but it will be better in the end. And so that is my message to you. You can't do it today, but you can, you can start and you can see benefits you know, and, and depending on the scope of the thing, right? Like it, you can see benefits in a week or a month or a year. It just depends on the scope of the ask and the sort of communication that you want to do, the organizational culture you have, the size of the organization matters, right? Like if you're a 10,000 person company or a 20,000 person company, that's a big difference. So yeah, it's a challenge. <laughs> Totally. But, you know, I, I'm sure that each one of those like culture communications wins mm-hmm. small as they may be, oh, yeah. super small as they may be. Yeah. makes a huge difference in someone's lives. After all, we spend most of our day not with our families and yeah. our friends, but at work. Yeah. Every every step is a step up the ladder. The ladder might be tall, but the ladder is is real. Absolutely. Uh, I've got uh, one last question for you. It's kind of a fun one. And yeah. if f- folks look up uh, your name, they'll, they'll figure out why I asked That's it. That's right. Um, so my question for you is, what can office workers learn from indie musicians? Yes. So one of the things that independent musicians do excellently is they're always, always experimenting. They're always tweaking with something, whether it's a bit of music or a bit of uh, organizational structure. Let's try this t-shirt printer instead of that t-shirt printer. Let's try this venue instead of that last venue. That last venue wasn't great. I heard from this other person that there's this new venue. Uh, There's this new foot pedal. There's all these different ways that they're experimenting with the ways that they do things. And it's not like a little thing. Like if you get a new foot pedal, you might have a completely different sounding record next time. So even the tiniest of changes has an enormous impact and musicians just do this as a matter of course. It's not even like a question like, are we gonna do some things differently next time? Like, no, of course, you're gonna always do something differently next time. Otherwise people can be like, it's the same record. Like, right. yeah, <laughs> I mean, we're Mumford and Sons. We just make the same record. And then they did that and people were like, don't. And they were like, let's become you too. And they were like, oh, don't do that either. But um, but another thing is that they, they're always expecting 
things to happen, right? So many organizations operate functionally as if nothing new will ever happen. Here's the way things are going to go. Here's our plan. And nothing is going to derail the plan. Indie musicians, on the other hand, are like, we've got a van. It has four wheels and a transmission. And it has that weird door. Hopefully that door doesn't fall off because that would be a problem. Also, our transmission needs to hold together. We might get a flat tire. And then if all those things hold together, we will get to the gig on time. If we have a flat tire, we have an extra tire, but it'll take us an hour and we ha only have this much time to get there. So let's not hope we have a flat tire. But if we do, we might still be able to get there on time. So musicians are planning for things to go wrong, probably because they have seen a lot of things go wrong. But the thing that interests me is that organizations see things go wrong and they're like, that was just a one-time blip. That's not going to happen again. <laughs> musicians do not do that. <laughs> if something has ever gone wrong with their transmission and they hear a noise, they're like, oh no, here we go again. Like that's that's just how it goes. And so... So there's a level at which you always have to understand that change is going to be happening, positive or negative, stuff is going to happen, and you need to be ready to shift for that. The last thing is that musicians are believers. They would not be doing this if they didn't believe that it was worthwhile. And a lot of organizations can be like, yeah, I mean, this is what we do now. Like, this is, we make this product. It does things. And sort of the the the... The id, the je ne sais quoi, the, the whole reason for existence has become like, oh, yeah, there's our line and this is our new product. And like musicians believe in whatever they're doing. If, if it's a new thing, if it's an old thing, like if you're putting out a 10th anniversary of your records because that 10th anniversary is coming up and people want to hear those songs again because they were good. If it's a new record, it's good. Like rare is the musician who comes out and says like, yeah, this one isn't my best record. Not good. <laughs> The last one was better, but I had to put out another one, you know? So that's just not how they, they're believers. And so I think that's important for organizations is to, to keep believing and keep just believing in it. And communication is a big part of that. Like I've been in bands. Sometimes you go into practice and you're like, guys, this sucks. And someone else in the band has to be like, no, it doesn't. And you're like, yes, it does. And then another person's like, can we just play the song already? And like, you just go on, like you just have to do that sort of communication for each other. I think that's true of organizations too. Absolutely. I like it so much of what you said just resonates with me for our <laughs> listeners who don't know. I am a um, independent musician myself. You drive the van or does somebody else? I have driven the van. I've driven a, um, a van that only I could drive because no one else could drive stick. That was not a good scenario. <laughs> um, but I always tell, you know, those who are outside of this world that punk rock people make the absolute best hires if you can bag them because you, you'll have to like, it'll have to be a culture fit. That yeah. belief thing is real. Yeah. And, and, you know, these folks don't half ass. Mm. True believers. <laughs> Yeah, True but, then, but then once they're there, you know, you're always fiddling with stuff and you can't, you're like addicted to problem solving. Like you just yeah. can't, let it, can't let it go, Yeah, which, which can be annoying to other people. But uh. well, it just depends <laughs> on the role you put them in. If you put, if you put them in a place where they can succeed, you can have, you know, really strong levels of uh, 
identification with the role, which you would not think, right? Like this is a punk rock person. Like they're going to be anti-authority. That's kind of true, but not really. Like it's about adherence to ideals, folks. And so if you have a situation where you are adhered to ideals and in a role, then you're going to sit there for a while and adhere to those ideals in your organization for you. That's good. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Well, yeah. thank you so much, Stephen. This has been great. Yeah, thank you. This is this is very exciting. I'm so glad to be on, and I hope that uh, that uh, the listeners get a sense of of how exciting I feel this stuff is. I feel like communication organizations is just really truly exciting, and hopefully, some of that infectiousness can rub off on those who don't do it for a living. And uh, as I said earlier, I know it's challenging. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, once again, I'm Mercy Harper. Thanks for joining us for this APQC podcast. Please go to apqc.org to learn more and have a great rest of your day.